Welcome again. Welcome to joining online. My name's Tyler. So glad that you were here. Last week, Travis shared, we're in a series on the Trinity called Divine Anatomy. And Travis last week shared, first week was God the Father, This week, last week was Christ the Son. And he was talking about how redemption was never the backup plan. And that the idea that Jesus redeems the things that are broken and wrong with the world. And it wasn't like God didn't know what was going on and didn't have an answer. Jesus stepped into that, and that was the plan all along. And I just love the idea as Travis ended that, I don't know about you, but when you think about redemption, there's so much that I have to be redeemed for, even today, like even this morning. So, um, you know, like this morning, um, I don't know if anybody, did anybody wake up early for the World Cup match? Nobody? We have one. We have one soccer fan besides me in here, right? And, and so, like, here I am. Like, I, I didn't set an alarm. And I was thinking, you know, if I wake up, I wake up and I'll watch it. And if I watch it, I watch it, right? And, and so I was trying to watch it quietly on my phone with headphones. And I accidentally, like, like fist pumped too hard and woke up D. And she got a little aggravated at me, you know, that kind of thing. And so, like, there's so much that we have to be redeemed for. But here's the thing. In Christ... We always have the opportunity to step into the redemption that he's provided through his death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so just I love how Travis ended the services. Like sometimes we could be judgmental of each other, but we could also be so judgmental with ourselves. And we never, ever allow ourselves to feel the grace that Jesus' death provides. And so as we transition from last week to this week... Um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Super excited about this morning. And part of what we want to do as well, um, as we move out of this week into the next three weeks, we want to talk intentionally about what does it look like for us to be the church while also acknowledging the three dimensions of the Trinity as we are the church. So next week will be, what does it look like? We studied in week one of this series. What does it look like for God as God was creative in, in providing and creating life-sustaining environments? What does it look like for us as a church and as followers to do that intentionally? So that's next week. The following week, again, what does it look like for us as the church to step in and redeem things that are broken or are not healthy? And then, uh, and then obviously today is, what does it look like for us to be equippers of one another and encouragers as we indwell in the world to redeem and to be creative? And so one of the things that we want to do is, there's a survey on the back table. I just want to just talk about it for just a moment. And so we just want to do a quick check-in with you guys. So I would encourage you at the back end of the service to grab that. We'll send out the digital link this week as well. And we're just asking, let's see. They're not numbered, so now I have to do math on the fly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions. That's not a lot, right? Seven questions. But we just want to see where you, each of us are, and then that help us inform where we're headed. And so, one, I'm just going to read the questions for you real quick. One, Crossroads is helping me grow as a Christian. Like, I think it's important. I want to know that because I want to know that uh, that we're doing as good of a job as we can and knowing that there are areas that we could do a better job. And so that's one. Crossroads helps me grow in community with others. That's in our vision statement that we want to pursue one another in spiritual community. The third question is Crossroads is helping me fulfill my calling in Christ. Not only are we supposed to grow, we also have a call that God's placed on each of us, just like Henry a second ago about starting a Bible study and the student testimonies last week. Crossroads could be doing more to help me fulfill my calling. So, like, where is it that we can improve and do more, help you get out there and fulfill your call? 
And then the, the next question is, is I do know what my calling is. And so some of us don't know, right? And that's okay because we're all in process. But we want to know what you think about what your calling is, if you're even aware of it or not. And then the last one, what do you believe is essential to church growth or church success? And two questions, and this is going to be really instructive for us. One, is church successful when we grow the people that are already here, right, spiritually? The other option is, is actually is church success defined by reaching unbelievers outside the church? And we also throw you a bone. We could say it actually could be both. But where we fall on that spectrum, is it growing people here only? Is it reaching people outside the walls only? Or is it a bit of a both and? Because as we begin to push into what does it look like for us to be the church in the next three weeks, and then we move into the fall series that we have, which I think I gave the title like several weeks ago, We in a Me-Centered World, right? Because everything is screaming about me, isn't it? You feel the pressure? Like, man, if I don't know who I am, like if I'm not self-actualized, if I'm not hitting my peak performance and whatever that your measuring stick is, like everything screams for me. But actually God gives us, each of us together as a spiritual family so that it takes the pressure off. We don't have to be a me. We could be a we in a me-centered world. And so that's why we want to do the survey. So I encourage you to take that. We'll remind you to do that over the next few weeks. But that's it, because here's the thing, one thing I want to mention, which is truth number one, we'll just start there. Spiritual growth requires intentionality on our part. It doesn't happen naturally, right? And you, you see the yards right now, right? Everything's so stupid. Tony and I were joking about that a second ago, like everything is crunchy right now, meaning that water doesn't happen unless you're intentionally watering right now. The yards are not growing unless we're intentionally watering in the yards, and the same thing goes for our spiritual journey as well. We have to be intentional. So spiritual growth requires intentionality on our part. Okay, are we good? Do you want me to keep going about just random things? or Sure, I don't have notes for that. I don't know where it'll go. I'm a little tired because I was up at 530. I, I, I kid you not, try not to wake up D, but there you go. Um, I won't tell you what happened in the game. Anyway, okay. Um, so as we said, God is the father, the creator week one. He creates life-giving environments. The son upholds the father's creation. They are fully in relationship with one another. The Trinity is, should be inspiring how we love and live and learn together because the father and the son do not withhold from one another. They don't only give parts of themselves. They only don't give a little of themselves. They don't just give barely enough. They completely submit and are submissive to one another in relationship. I just love that picture. Is that, and, and that when Jesus is redeeming the brokenness of the world, God's not just saying, you know what, let's just start all over. Those people just have to figure it out. No, he sent Jesus into the world to redeem it from the inside out. Just like he redeems you and me from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Which brings us to the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit is the God who indwells and equips. God the Father creates, the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit equips, right? And I don't know about you, but the third member of the Trinity is kind of hard, right? Like, I don't know, like, we usually fall into two camps. Camp A is sometimes you completely ignore the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is your past church experience where your, your church ignored the Holy Spirit because we don't quite know how to interact with Him because of the boxes that we have. 
Or maybe your other church experiences can be where you've completely focused so much on the Holy Spirit that you've forgotten or left behind God the Father and Christ the Son. And so that's why we want to spend time here today and in a couple of weeks. Because I don't know about you, being a third member is kind of could be a drag, right? You ever been the third wheel in, in something? Let's be honest. Is that a lot of fun? It's not, right? Like one time I was hanging out with some friends that were circling each other. They were trying to figure out, it was a guy and a girl, they were trying to figure out if they were going to date each other. And so they asked me to come hang out with them. And it was apparent they didn't want me around, right? They just wanted someone in the equation so that they could figure out if they liked each other or not. There's no fun in that. Well, it is no fun in that. Unless you're me and a little sadistic, because here's what I did. Once I figured out that they didn't really want to hang out with me, they just wanted a safety blanket in case it got really weird, I just immediately started asking really awkward dating and romantic questions. And what was fun about it was they immediately started to sweat and get super nervous. And I wasn't even asking them. I was just saying, gosh, I wonder what marriage is like after a first date. How many people do you think that they knew they were going to marry someone after the first day, and they were like, oh my gosh, so much pressure, so much pressure, and so I just watched them sweat for like two hours, it was glorious, because they put me in that position, and I don't hold grudges, by the way, by the way, I'm available for hire for first dates, of anybody that needs them, and I've been told I'm a fun hang, I'm assuming you disagree with that. Okay, that's fine. But here's the thing. We've been, a, we've been the third wheel, or we've been in the equation with the third wheel. And so, unfortunately, I think sometimes we put the Holy Spirit as this third wheel, and we don't quite know what to do with it. See what I did there? Sometimes we just stick him off to the side, like, I don't know really what to do, and he's the third wheel. But remember, here's the thing. It's two camps. Either you've ignored him, or you've overemphasized him. And so my heart is, my desire is at Crossroads is that we will actually not be in either camp where we overemphasize or we ignore that it's a both and. And we find a balance in the Trinity because the Trinity is not unbalanced with one another. And that's what we should press into as well. So truth number two, to have the right theology of the Holy Spirit, we need to pursue understanding of his role inwardly, understand his role inwardly in our lives, and also outwardly in our lives. Because he doesn't just stop here. And he doesn't always just work here in our hands. He does both. He transforms us from the inside out. Agreed? And we're going to do that three ways today. One, we're going to understand the Holy Spirit as a third member of the Trinity. Two, how do we personally commune with him? And then three, how do we follow his lead in our lives? Sounds really simple, but it's really not, isn't it? But here we go anyway. And so I think this conversation is important because, by the way, you know, there's a raging debate in America in, the, in church these days, right? Maybe if you come from a more Baptistic, and by the way, I'm not saying that this is any of this is bad. I'm just talking about our experiences. Some of us come from a more Baptistic expression, and so we don't know quite what to do with him. Some of us come from maybe a more charismatic expression, you know, and how the charismatic expression has grown extensively over the last 50 years. And it feels like this kind of this new conversation, like, what do we do? Do we believe in spiritual gifts or not? Which, by the way, we're not talking about spiritual gifts much today. We're going to save that for three weeks. But here's the funny thing. Are you ready? This is not a new conversation. This discussion that we're having today about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives personally and corporately in the body of Christ is not new. By the way, 
the role of the Holy Spirit, just as the third member of the Trinity has been argued about since 381 A.D. The Council of Constantinople agreed, the church church fathers who got together and agreed, like, you know, actually the Holy Spirit is the third member, and we're going to agree with that. That happened back in 381, and the debate has been raging ever since. Because he wouldn't be God if we could fully understand him, right? Because if I could fully understand God, then doesn't that make me God, kind of? Or at least able to stand at the same level as God, kind of? There you go. So the Holy Spirit, one number one, role as a third member of the Trinity. Genesis 1, 1, 2 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the waters. And what? The Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the water, the face of the waters. So just a couple of things. The Holy Spirit was there at the creation event. So God spoke the universe into creation with his word. The scriptures in the New Testament says that the creation that we experience every day is upheld by Christ. And yet we have the spirit in the creative act from the beginning. And so the, the Hebrew word for spirit there is ruach. Anybody ever heard that word? Ruach. Sometimes I yell that at my kid, but not because I'm saying spirit. Like I'm just saying like whatever name comes out, right? Ruach literally means breath. The Hebrew word for spirit literally means breath. And so if you are familiar at all where the spirit references the spirit, what do they reference him as? Sometimes they call him a wind. Sometimes they talk about him moving, right? Sometimes he's a bird, like when Jesus was baptized and the spirit came out of heaven and descended upon him like a dove, right? All that, the Hebrew word is ruach, and it's all combined and united by the fact that the Holy Spirit is the representation of the relationship between God the Father and Christ the Son as this energy, right? And if you've ever been to Third Will before, like the, that, that, those friends I was telling you about earlier, there was some palpable energy between them, right? I just happened to be the Third Will in the way they didn't want me to be. But the Holy Spirit actually in the good way, is the energy that is represented between God the Father and Christ the Son. And they could use all those words, but they decided on one called Ruach. And a couple of things to note about God's presence, right? You can't see it, right? Like yesterday I woke up, I went for a bike ride, couldn't see it, the wind, but I felt it yesterday morning. Sometimes you can't see God's presence, but you feel it. Did you feel it during the, the, the song, the worship set this morning? Did you feel it kind of go up and down and, and in and out as he was kind of just moving and hovering over our worship as we were glorifying him? We don't see it, but we certainly feel it. And whenever it moves, it moves where it wants. And in that movement, life is sustained. So the spirit, back in Genesis 1, life wouldn't be sustained without him hovering and brooding almost like a hen or a or a bird broods over her eggs. And that's where life is. That's where life is. And if you remember way back, the Trinity, it's like I said a second ago, it's held together. God speaking, holding together in Christ, and the Spirit is sustaining the life that God is speaking into existence. Which, by the way, I just want to say something. I know we're talking about Genesis and creation, but the Holy Spirit all the time is doing this to your heart to your spirit, to your soul, to your mind. And he's saying, 
I want life to be there. I want life to speak in life into you all the time. It's just, do we hear it? So the Holy Spirit actually doesn't sound like a third will at all. It sounds really important. And as we'll see, while there might be disagreements about what the Holy Spirit does and how far his ministry goes or doesn't go, or that maybe his role has changed from the beginning to how it is now. But what I want to focus on is truth number three. If there is life present, the Spirit sustains it. If there is life present, you're breathing oxygen right now that is literally being upheld by the Spirit. You woke up this morning because the Spirit is sustaining your life. And He doesn't just want to sustain our lives. He wants to sustain our spiritual lives and see them grow and step out in faith and in courage. And so when Jesus' body began to breathe, it was breathing because the Spirit was there and bringing life from death. See that? Because you remember right before Jesus died on the cross, what did the Scripture say? That he gave up his spirit. But then when life began, we sing the song at Easter, right? When the third day and that body began to breathe, it wasn't Jesus just breathing. It was the spirit causing that life to come back from death. Amen? Amen. So I don't know about you, but if you ever feel the, the sunrise on your face this morning, even though it's like a bazillion degrees and our cold water is no longer cold anymore. Do you notice? I noticed that this week, like our tap water is no longer cold because it's so stinking hot. Do you know what? The sun coming up over the horizon is because the spirit is sustaining life. You feel the wind on your face when you walk out of here today, even if it's a heat wave? The spirit is sustaining life and he's letting you know that he's here. How often do we just go about our day and never think about his presence? How often? But he's always talking to us, always wanting to talk with us. And so when you feel the Spirit indwell in your life, and when you put your faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there, and he comes in. So how does the Spirit work within us? So that's one. The Spirit's a member of the Trinity. How does he work within us? And Romans 8, 9 says this. Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So this is Paul talking to believers. So you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If in fact, so it's not a foregone conclusion that he does. Only happens on the back end of acceptance of Jesus. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But in Christ, if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, remember I just said that a second ago, Jesus was breathing because the spirit raised him from the dead. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you, your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. Glory be to God. Because I don't know about you, but for me, as I was saying a second ago, when I feel like I have so much that my, I need to be redeemed for, the decisions I make, the thoughts I think, the things I don't think to do, I get, get, get really lost in the trees of my life, right? You know that saying, you could lose the forest for the trees. You could be surrounded by trees but can't see what everything is going on. A lot of times I feel like that I'm just probably messing up, I'm falling short, and I'm not moving in the direction that he wants me to go. But here I've got Paul's promise 
if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you. And so what I want to say to you this morning is this, is the spirit is redemptively working in our lives. As he is equipping us and indwelling in our lives, it's not on us to be alive. It's on him to breathe life into us. So that thing you think that, man, it's really in the way of me following Jesus, that thought, that sin, that thing that I wish I hadn't done a long time ago, or that thing I wish I could make different now, that is not in the way of life between you and Jesus. Do you believe that? Because it's on the Spirit to breathe life into you, not for you to do it right. That's exactly what Satan wants us to think, is that, you know what, your spiritual life is just a checklist of yes, 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 no, 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 like you're filling out paperwork at the doctor's office. You know, that medical history thing that we always lie about at the doctor's office, because I don't want them to know the things that I don't, I shouldn't do, right? You ever lied on one of those things? Do you have asthma? Only when I have asthma, right? I mean, so, but no, that doesn't count, right? Like that whole thing, or like, you know, do you eat, do you not eat, do you eat bad food? No, I, I'm, I'm the healthiest eater ever. Do you ever feel like your spiritual life is that way? It's not on you to have life spiritually. It's on the spirit to breathe life into you. And that only happens when he comes in and indwells. By the way, uh, at, constant, uh, at the church council I mentioned earlier in 381 or 391, yeah, 381, there it is. Church, the church father, Athanasius, who argued for the deity of the Son. So that means Jesus was fully divine and fully human, also argued that the Spirit has to be there because he said, if God's Spirit is not within you, then we do not have community with God. There is no amount of right or wrongs that we could do to have community with God. It only comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit as he indwells in each of our hearts. And so maybe you're having a couple of different conversations here with yourself. You're thinking, gosh, what have I got to do to fully, more fully realize how he indwells. I would say you don't have to do anything. You just got to say, Holy Spirit, have access, full access to my heart. Just fling the door open and say, you know what? I just give you free reign. Or maybe you're like, I don't know what it is that you're talking about. Maybe you need to ask him in. Right? Maybe you need to allow him the areas that you don't, and maybe you just need to ask him in. Because if he's not within us, we don't have community with God, and there's no amount of perfection that I could do or that you could do that we could do to get to community with God. Because that's what the Trinity is. Perfect community with one another. Fully realized, fully handed over, and fully experienced between the other members. But what do we, what do we have problem with all the time, right? I don't know if I could trust that person because, gosh, maybe their heart's not good toward me. Or have you noticed how the world just fights with itself all the time? Because we don't allow the Spirit in. We don't allow the Spirit in. The point of the Holy Spirit is to have community with God, first and foremost. And then two, we grow. And it happens in three ways. Inspiration, illumination, and presence. Inspiration is where the Spirit has divinely inspired the Word of God. So what we think about the Scriptures is, is that it's divinely inspired, even though it's written by a bunch of different authors. And human authors, by that way, by the way, right? And so there's a couple ways to think about it. One, you could think there's mistakes, which there's some comma splices in here, which are the most of the mistakes. 
And you can allow that to get in the way of, I know actually God is, can't communicate what he wants to be because of it's written by human hands. Or you could say, in spite of what might be there, that the Holy Spirit will perfectly communicate what it is that he wants us to understand about God, the Son, and himself. Okay? That's why we, we call it inerrancy. Scriptures are inerrant. So that means God's thoughts, God's words, God's teachings are perfectly passed from the Holy Spirit to the author's hand as he was writing. Can I give you an example? This is actually kind of fun. I love this stuff. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Isaiah is in the Old Testament, and he's writing to the nation of Israel who is about to be kicked out of their own country so that uh, it's called the Babylonian exile. And Isaiah is writing prophetic. It hasn't happened yet, but he's telling them, hey, trouble's coming, right? It's kind of like when that couple decided to date. I'm like, I don't know if you're a good match. That's where it really went sour, by the way. Anyway, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. And so even though Isaiah is warning Israel, hey, you're in trouble. These people are coming to, to, to conquer you, and you're going to be separated from me for a while. But then notice this, this little hope statement that we could gloss over all the time. Because at our worst, we doubt God, do we not? When things are really bad, I just don't know if God's for me anymore. And I wonder if this is how Israel felt too. But Isaiah wrote this starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Notice I said Spirit, right? So Isaiah in the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is writing to or helping Isaiah write this to the nation of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to portray liberty to the captives. They're not even captives yet, but he's already prophetically saying, God will come back and rescue you and allow you to come home. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, that's Jerusalem, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, because I don't know about you, but when I feel faint, I don't feel like praising. But in Christ, I can. I don't feel like it. I don't have to fake it. As a matter of fact, I could be really honest about that with God. But in Christ, I still have an avenue to do so. Garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, because Jerusalem's about to be destroyed. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So before any of that happens, Isaiah is saying, God is allowing a way to get back to him, just like God has used Jesus for us to get back to God too. See that? Okay. So the Holy Spirit divinely inspired Isaiah to throw this, that little nugget of hope, and otherwise a really, really, really hard letter. And I'm not talking like trying to find the silver lining. I mean, it's a hard letter, even in the beginning. And so Isaiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophetically say, you're going to be exiled, and things are going to look really bad, but within the warning... God still is with them, and he still offers hope. Okay. All right, so why Isaiah 61? Well, that's inspiration. This is where illumination always comes, because 
It's not just that the text is inspired. The Holy Spirit actually has to illuminate it for us as well. It meant something to the reader of Isaiah specifically, and it means something for you and for me too, but it has to be illuminated. Or like the Holy Spirit put, turns on the flashlight and, and, and we understand what it means, like flipping the light switch. Luke chapter 4 says this. Now, this is really, really interesting. Starting in verse 16. This is after Jesus has been baptized. The dove has come down. He's starting his public ministry. And it says this. And he came to Nazareth. That's Jesus. Where he had been brought up because he was a Nazareth kid. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Synagogue's like a small church outside of the temple. To read. In the scroll of the prophet who? Isaiah. You think this is a mistake? Absolutely not. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So this is funny. He didn't choose it. It was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. You ready? Here we go. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isn't that interesting? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, illuminated the text in a special way for the hearer in that moment and for you and for me. Because you remember what I said a second ago, right? There's no amount of right or wrongs that gets me to heaven. I can't build my own bridge to get to heaven. But what I can do is put my faith and trust in Christ. And as Jesus was saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, which it was because it just anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor, meaning that we don't have to save ourselves anymore. Jesus, God himself, saves and rescues us. Fulfills Isaiah's prophecy not only then because they, God allowed Israel to come back, but it also is dual fulfillment. And now this Jesus is illuminating the text in a new way for you and for me. And I just love this. He began to say to them today, or no, he said this in verse 20. And when he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, all the eyes were on him. Can you imagine what that was like? Like he got up, randomly held, handed the scroll, found the place, read it. And then sat down. Didn't say anything else. And he said it in such a way that all the eyes were fixed upon him. And if that's not only worse, he might drop some. Right? This is the might drop of all might drops. Because he says, in case you were confused, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine what that was like? Only by the illumination of the spirit did they get it. Only by the illumination of the Spirit. Not only does the Spirit inspire the text, He also illuminates. He also illuminates. Just love that. Only Jesus can set captives free. No amount of money, no amount of fame, or social media followers, or strength, or power, or education, or giftings can do that. Only Christ can. Which brings us to truth number four. Almost done. When we learn anything through Scripture, when we learn anything through Scripture, it is because the Holy Spirit illuminates that truth. Only 
because he illuminates that truth. And so I don't know about you, but sometimes I go through dry seasons where it's just not really talking to me. And I'm like, I should just read harder or I should study harder or maybe I just need to read more. And you know what I don't do and what we should do? Holy Spirit, why are you not illuminating the text to me right now? It's not me, it's you. Because I don't hold you back. You do what you want. You, bre- you go wherever you want. The wind blows wherever it wants to go. Why are you not speaking to me? And I, oftentimes, I make it about myself as opposed to him. I make it about myself as opposed to him. And I guarantee that the Spirit does not want us to live in the bondage of our own prisons. He does not want us to live in the bondage of our own prisons. So that's number two. Spirit's member of the Trinity, that's number one. And number two, he inspires and illuminates the text. You want to have a a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you don't know where to begin? Begin here. It's straight from his mouth. And then he opens up all this other vista for us to do. And I think sometimes we want to go on to the really exciting things and we forget that actually we should start here. But this is milk because it's here. He wants us to eat solid food. The third way, the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, when we practice being present with the Holy Spirit, we grow in lots of ways. He equips We'll get there in just a second. But he also indwells. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, starting in verse 17. He actually lives where our soul and spirit and heart connect together as the throne room of our lives. You don't think you're important? You have a throne room sitting in here wanting to be occupied by the God of the universe. I don't know if you believe that about yourself or not, but you're that important to him. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't be here. And if you weren't here, you wouldn't be alive. But yet he sustains all the life. And we can't fully realize that life without his residence here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Just listen to this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. The Spirit does not want you to be in bondage. There is freedom. And I'm not talking like the freedom that lasts for a couple of days. I'm talking about the freedom where the shackles have been broken and they're off. And we are all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. Can you imagine? Like you and I one day will be fully complete in the image of God as image bearers that we talked about in, in, in week one. Beholding the glory of God, being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so I just want to just, this, this, our spiritual walks aren't formulaic, but I think there's some words here that we have to understand. And it's this. You can bring up the next slide, please. Spirit equals Lord. Lord equals freedom. Freedom equals beholding His glory. Not where we fall short. Not what's in our way. Not what the world's up to. But him, him, and then when we behold his glory, we're transformed, meaning we're made new, meaning the old has gone, the new has come, death is moving into life, where there is no breath, breath is being spoken in, if I just would remember that, if I just would remember Gosh, it's not about me and what I do right or what I don't do wrong or what someone does to me or doesn't do to me. Like, 
God actually wants us to be responsible for our own walks before him and not leave it up to everyone else because that's not life, isn't it? When we leave it up to everyone else and everything else, if it goes this way, then it must be true. No, he wants us to be transformed. And so just like take that mental note. Like, what does it look like for me to behold his glory this week? Whether it's here or in prayer or in worship or just saying, God, I just want to feel your wind on my face today and let that push me towards what it is that you want me to do today. Instead of being so busy and so distracted. Because you know what? As funny as it is that I wasn't trying to wake up my wife this morning because I was watching, you know, I have a TV in the other room, but if I go in the other room, the cat's going to wake up and she's going to start screaming for food and then the whole house is up. You know what I mean? Like, but here's the funny thing. I didn't get up and have its quiet time this morning, did I? I was thinking about that. Huh. Like, it's kind of funny. I'm like, oh, I'll get up and watch, you know, what happened happen. But I didn't get up at 540 yesterday to have quiet time. But here's the thing. You could either be like really, really upset at yourself or go, but I could do that tomorrow. I could try this afternoon. And maybe the Spirit's just saying, hey, it's not guilt. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. That's what it is. Number three, last one. Holy Spirit equips your life for ministry. In the Old Testament, by the way, the, the Spirit would indwell people at particular times for particular reasons, like Isaiah, for example, right? He was prophetically writing to the nation of Israel before everything went down. Another example, if you remember this from kids' ministry, Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream, right? Joseph was caught up. He was a nobody who didn't know anything, and then Pharaoh had this dream, and Joseph, through the Spirit, was able to, to um, interpret the dream, and then Joseph was given a place of position based on his interpretation. There's another example, too, where the Spirit indwells in Exodus for a specific reason. It's in chapter 31. We're almost done. And then we're going to get the baptisms because I'm really excited about the baptisms. Because you want to see what the Spirit's doing? Watch someone come out of the water. All right, verse, three, verse 4. Sorry, I'm really tired and probably on too much coffee and feeling it today. My apologies. But anyway, so there's this guy named, I should always practice these names and I always mess them up, Bezalel, Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. So God now, his people are moving in the wilderness. They've got the tabernacle, which is the tent of meeting, and that's God's physical presence amongst his people. And in verse 3, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, with ability and intelligence and with knowledge and all craftsmanship to, this is verse 4, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze in the cutting of stones for setting and in carving of wood and to work at every craft. So here's man trying to figure out how to build the tabernacle and God's spirit gives this guy the ability to say, you know what, this is how I want it to be done. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. So, like, if you ever have, like, if you have a talent, like, that's a gift from the Spirit. And this guy's gift from the Spirit or his talent was to ornately design God's tent or house or his physical address to make it the best it could be. And so that happens all throughout the Old Testament. You have the Holy Spirit giving gifts to certain people at certain times for certain purposes. But... In the New Testament, after Jesus' ascension, and we'll get there in three weeks when, on um, 
when this when the spirit indwells 40 days after the ascension what's that called when that happens what's the tongues of fire called it's about a little bible trivia anybody know what it's called pentecost right when he equips everyone not only does god not no longer equip just select few he equips all of us for the work of ministry he indwells and he equips which brings us to truth number five. The Holy Spirit doesn't equip the select few, but equips every believer for the work of the ministry. And so sometimes I have to remember, sometimes it's not just about me. It's about what I do with those around me. I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm saying that I'm responsible for the people around me, period, right? Driving, in the grocery store, my family, my friends, but most of all, spiritually. And the biggest lie of Satan is that, you know what, you hand that over to people who are trained. And you know what, when we say that, you know what we don't acknowledge? Who gives the gifts and who does the training? Because it's not man. It's only done by the Spirit. And so, like Esther, the queen, who was the queen, for such a time as this, you and I are created for a purpose for such a time as this. Meaning, you're needed. Meaning, you're wanted by God for a purpose so that you can play your part in his redemptive plan and purposes. And so if you can't do it for yourself, like there's days where I'm like, I just don't know if I have it in me, but I certainly don't want to let other people around that are counting on me. And I think sometimes we forget that, believe it or not, people count on you no matter where you are. You can be 10 and you can be 80. That you are counted on. Just like Esther, you and I are created for a purpose for such a time as this. So as we turn our attention to our hearts, we've talked about each member of the Trinity, how God creates, the Son redeems, and the Spirit indwells here and equips here. He has to indwell here and then it flows inwardly and outwardly to our hands. How does God want us to shift our perspective? Because it's not just about here and understanding. It's also about here and feeling. You check your head, you're missing something on the table. You check your heart, you're, missing, you're leaving something on the table too. Because as each member functions and works three together in one, our hearts and our heads and our hands are to do the same thing. And so what I'm calling you to, I think what the Spirit is calling us to is, man, if you're doing this but not doing this and this, then spend some time with your head and with your heart. If you're only engaged in your heart and not your mind and not your hands, then that's just personal worship that only impacts you. If you're only engaged in your head and not your heart and not your hands, then it's just a vanity exercise and intellectualism. But the Spirit does not call us to do that. He calls us to bring our whole selves because Jesus brought his whole self too. Amen? Amen. So, here's my ask of you. Two. One. Fill out the survey because I want to know where we are and where we need to go. And that comes from not just what I think or what the staff or the elders think, but what you guys think too. Because you're just as important to the equation as anyone else. Seriously. Can't go further without that feedback. And then two, spend some time preparing your heart and your head and your hands to respond over the next three weeks. Because the band's going to come back up. Because here's the deal. We're going to look at what does it look like for us in relation to the God the Father as he creates life-giving environments. 
What does it mean for Crossroads to create life-giving environments? How do we do that? And then two, how do we redemptively, just like Jesus did on our behalf, how do we step into the world redemptively and to redeem broken things? Because God does not desire anything to be broken and lost. Do you believe that? Because I don't know about you, there is nothing, you are not too far gone and neither is the world. And then number three, we each have a part to play. And there might be parts that are more visible than others, but that doesn't mean they're more important. That's an American worldly way of thinking about the kingdom. And that's not it at all. It's head, it's heart, and it's hands. Will you stand with me, please? So just take a moment. Before they sing, I just want you to ask. You could do it audibly if you want. You could do it quietly at your seat, in your heart. Just say, Spirit, speak. Let me know where you are. Just speak. So God, I pray that you would speak and that you are speaking. And I'm thankful that we don't have to get it right. I'm thankful that we just get to respond. And so, in this moment and in the moments to come, I pray, Spirit, you would speak to each of us individually. You'd speak individually, and then collectively we would see where it is that you're heading and that you're moving and that you're inviting all of us into that. And the reason I know is we're going somewhere is because you are speaking and you have spoken and that you're going to continue to speak. We have baptisms to show for that, but we also have the sun on our face, the wind on our faces as well, and the breath in our lungs. So I don't think you're done talking yet. And there's plenty of things that are wrong with the world that needs someone like us, someone like me, as feeble as we are, to say, can I point you to something, to the well that never runs dry? Can I talk about the guy who sacrificed everything for you and the God that wants to live inside of you. So, Spirit, speak as we sing. It's in your name. Amen.